Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, here's Donald Trump's idea of tax reform. Cutting the corporate tax from 35 to 15%. And you and I pay a lot more. Hey, what do you say, everybody? It is a Tuesday, Tuesday, April 25. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you today. And thank you for being part of the Bill Press Show as we boom out to you live from our studio in Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, where the House and the Senate are back in town today. You know what that means. Trouble. Trouble on Trouble Raider in River City. Yeah. On several fronts, trouble on tax reform. Yes. Trouble on health care. Maybe. Trouble on whether or not the government's going to stay open beyond the end of the week, or we'll see a government shutdown and trouble over the damn wall, which Donald Trump wants us, insists now that we have to pay for because Mexico ain't going to do it. And we knew that a long time ago. Lots and lots to talk about today, as always. Uh, we'll tell you what's going on. Got some great guests for you today, and we look forward to hearing from you. Most importantly, give us your comments on the news of the day. Lots you're going to want to talk about. You know how to do it on Twitter at BP Show. Donald J. Donald J. Trump does not control, have an exclusive monopoly on Twitter. Uh, you're welcome. Donald J. Trump. There he is. Yes. Uh, send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. We'll get right to it. But first, this is the All Full right. Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just come up with the stories making news. How about this? This is uh, about it. crazy. A unique copy of the U.S. Declaration of Independence has been discovered. Yes. Not here in America, not here in Washington, D.C., at the National Archives, where we have a copy of the Declaration of Independence in England. In England. Handwritten. Handwritten. Two Harvard researchers found it in England, locked away in a local records office in southeastern England, completely ignored by historians, completely ignored by record keepers. They just sort of found it. These two uh, researchers, Harvard researcher uh, Emily Sneff and uh, Dave, Daniel Allen, or Danielle Allen, excuse me, Danielle yeah, Allen, two Harvard women. professors, right, right. saw the document and they were stunned. <laughs> Quoting Allen, she said, I thought... Holy history, Batman. We'd seen a lot of copies, but nothing like this. So they have a copy of no, the it's actual. It's, it's amazing. Here we are. <laughs> you see these stories all the time. People open a box in an attic. or yeah. And, and, but even what gets me is, is so many of these discoveries come in libraries or where or records, buildings where official records are, and they're just like on the shelf. Right? Yeah. Somebody just hanging put them out. there and then died or forgot about it and nobody knew about it and 
I guess organizing and file keeping and all of that wasn't so great back in the day, and things just kind of get lost. It's a good idea, but you, you have a list of what's <laughs> you there. You need to know what's where. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to lose it uh, for years. Uh, a new study shows, uh, this is from Australian scientists, they say that if you're over the age of 50 and you want to boost your brain power, all you got to do is just get a little exercise. Walking, Running, yoga, and Tai Chi have all shown to significantly boost brain power. <clears throat> My understanding was that all you had to do was watch the Bill Press show. <laughs> that will also look. That yeah. will definitely get your heart rate going, uh, or and could, brain power going. Oh yeah, I got a lot of energy. I got a lot of brain power. Or you could just download the podcast, take it with you on your walk or on your run. Shameless plug. Yeah, right. Just get, it on, just get it on iTunes. Uh, they said, yeah, so they, they said it's, it's so good, in fact, that they are telling some doctors that you could recommend exercise to improve cognitive function rather than, you know, other medicine. Well, that's, this is good. There's one more reason to go to the gym. Yeah. Run, or walk, di- or yoga, just do whatever you got to do. Yeah, just, go, yeah. just do whatever you got to do. And by the way, one, one more quick story. Uh, we do have a Secretary of Agriculture yesterday. Sonny Perdue <laughs> was confirmed by the Senate 87 to 11. So we got a couple Democrats voting for him as well. His cousin presided over yeah. the uh, the hearing. That's cool. David cool. Perdue. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say, friends? On a Tuesday, April 25, good to see you. Welcome to the program. It is the Bill Press Show. We're going to bring you up to date on all the news of the day from our nation's capital of Washington, D.C., both here and around the country and around the world, uh, and give you a chance to sound off about it on Twitter, at BP Show. All part of the Young Turks Network, we are coming at you in several different forms and formats and venues on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On Free Speech TV, hello, hello. On DirecTV, you got a satellite dish. Good to see you. And in Radio Land, out in Chicago, in the greater Chicago area where Barack Obama bounced back into the public eye yesterday, good to join you on WCPT. Thanks for being part of the program with lots to talk about. Big stories of the day. Yes, Donald Trump. His approval ratings down to 42 percent, the lowest of any president in modern times. Fifty three percent disapprove of the job he is doing as president, which just shows that the more people see, the longer people put up with Donald Trump, the less they like him. Those poll numbers have done done nothing but sink, 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 sink since he took the oath of office. And even then, they weren't that high. He has now, Donald Trump is zeroing in on 100 days. You know, with Donald Trump, it's always a parallel universe. Uh, He says 100 days is a baloney, doesn't mean anything. And then he turns around and says, yes, but if you look at my 100 days, I'm more successful than any president in history. It looks like the Senate Intelligence Committee is asleep at the switch after all. First lady wannabe surrogate first lady, whatever you call her, Ivanka Trump, is off to Germany on an official state visit. Who elected her to anything? Uh, And yes, he's back. Barack Obama, back. Where else but on the south side of Chicago, at the University of Chicago? 
Yeah. Oh, man. So much to talk about. Where do we start? Where do we start? Let's start with the 100 days, because it is true. With Donald Trump, there is always a parallel universe, right? There is reality and there's Donald Trump's world. Um, and even in his world, you get to have uh, both sides of any any issue, um, like China. On one day, they're raping the United States, quote unquote, because of their currency manipulation. On the next day, they're the best friend we have in the world, and they're going to solve all of our problems in North Korea. We don't have to do a thing. Well, it's the same thing on um, the um, on on the 100 days. Uh, Donald Trump uh, has said that it's an artificial barrier. He said it's not very meaningful. He also said it's a ridiculous standard. That's what he has said about this idea that you look at what is accomplished in the first 100 days to judge a new president's capacity to govern. Uh, At the same time, Donald Trump has turned around and said that he, in fact, has may had the most successful first 100 days of any president in recent history and this week Donald Trump is saying that by Saturday the 100 day uh, stand of uh, 100 day mark uh, he wants to repeal Obamacare still this week he wants to introduce and enact tax reform all in a couple of days this week. He is having, they're having announced, Sean Spicer told us yesterday at the briefing, uh, a whole series of 100-day briefings. They're having a a series of first 100-day receptions. They have launched a first 100-day website. (laughs) And on Saturday, he has scheduled a first 100-day rally in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is a lot of hullabaloo for something that is a ridiculous standard. Yeah, that's I, fair. You know, I mean, come on. Yeah. It, it is funny to watch how they're twisting themselves in knots. It matters so little to them that they are going to bend over backwards to commemorate it. Right, exactly. So on the 100 days, and I, I, I credit, I'd forgotten this. I credit uh, Major Garrett uh, at CBS News, our friend, uh, who pointed out yesterday that back in October 2016, about two weeks before the election, Donald Trump went to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and he made what he called his Gettysburg Address, a la Abe Lincoln. He also called it, he offered a contract with America, a la Newt Gingrich, in which he put forth what he was going to accomplish in his first 100 days. So he put out this blueprint. He It was a 100-day action plan. There were 28 points in there that he promised that he was going to achieve in his first 100 days. So we've got a standard to go back and take a look at. On that list, there are 10 bills that he promised he was going to introduce and sign with a Republican Congress in the first 100 days, okay? Well, he's got the Republican Congress. He's got the House. He's got the Senate. How many of those 10 bills have been introduced? 
Not one. Not <laughs> one. So, I mean, uh, and there are, there are various markers, but, you know, I made a list of some of the things that, uh, and you, you may want to add to this on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, what has he accomplished? Okay, he did get a Supreme Court justice confirmed. But, you know, I have to, I keep coming back to this. That You have to give credit for that to Mitch McConnell, not Donald Trump. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, it would be Merrick Garland. It should be Merrick Garland. Mitch McConnell refused to hold a hearing last year, or uh, let alone a vote. And he left it open. And so once you have the Republican Senate, as long as they change the rules, all Donald Trump had to do was pick somebody from a list that was made up for him by the Federalist Society. He had basically nothing to do with with uh, Neil Gorsuch. But I'll give him that one on the, on the plus list. He did reverse position on the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, now he's for it. We were against it before. Um, he has issued an executive order that says we're going to get rid of two regulations for every new one that's adopted. Hasn't kicked in yet, but he issued that. And he did say we're going to get out of the TPP, even though we were not in the TPP yet because Congress had not passed it. So, in fact, he just basically withdrew attempts to get the TPP approved. That's kind of a list. Now, he's he's done some he's signed some things. He's signed by Friday he will have signed 32 executive orders. He will have signed 22 presidential mem- memorandums. He will have signed 20 proclamations and he's probably had 139 different meetings in the Oval Office. But what does that all amount to? Nobody can point to anything that 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 it all added up to. It's no. just a flurry of activity signifying nothing to get a little Shakespearean here for a while. What did he not accomplish? Well, he promised on that Gettysburg Address he's going to completely undo, redo, whatever, NAFTA. Didn't even touch it. He promised he was going to ban all Muslims from coming into this country. He tried. Federal courts shot it down. Tried twice. Federal courts shot it down. So that's not all. Of course, he promised he was going to repeal Obamacare on day one. No, hasn't done that yet. He promised he was going to deliver tax reform in that first 100 days. Ain't going to happen. I don't care what he says on Wednesday. It's not going to happen. He promised also in that Gettysburg Address he was going to introduce term limits for members of Congress and sign that legislation. Oh, right. Yeah, not done. Where's that? Not done. Right. Uh, He also promised he was going to build the wall, right, or at least fund the wall. Uh, That's not going to happen either. And, of course, on another level, he has not— expanded his political base at all. We see that from the poll numbers now in the White House. And, of course, he hasn't, like, grown at all in terms of learning how to be president. <laughs> and at least if he has, he's been hiding it. There's no sign that the Donald Trump in the Oval Office is any less impetuous, uh, any less wild-ass crazy than the <laughs> candidate Donald Trump that we saw on the campaign trail who just does stuff, you know, throws stuff out there. I mean, look at his tweets. His tweets are just as crazy, just as bad, just as nonstop as they were when he was. So um, you got to say, um, and, and and of course, you know, Obamacare, The that's the number one thing he didn't do. But on the list of, of on the, in the area of total flops, the one major piece of legislation that he did get introduced, shot down, couldn't even get it, couldn't even get it out of the House. So I, I got to say, objectively, and again, by the way, 
I would agree with Donald Trump. I think this 100-day thing is stupid. We do it every four years. I mean, every eight years. And every time we say, no, this is crazy. We shouldn't do this anymore. Then we fall into it. I, I, I would drop it once and for all. But if you're going to insist that it counts, as Donald Trump does, if you're going to give a speech, say, here's what I'm going to do in the first 100 days. If you're going to brag about you've accomplished more than anybody else, then you've got to be held accountable. And, of course, uh, Donald Trump does it and Sean Spicer does it every single day. Yesterday, here's Sean Spicer at the briefing saying, now, come on, take it in context, and, uh, and we've, we've accomplished so much. It's got to be kept in context. Um, and I think that's, there is sort of this artificial number that gets thrown out. But the totality, Sean Spicer says, of what we've done, Unbelievable. I think you can go back and find an area one or two and say, okay, well, he didn't do this. But I think you have to look at it in totality of what he actually did get done. <laughs> okay, sure. we just looked. Okay, fine. Yeah, we just did that. We just looked at the totality of what he did get done. Yeah. And uh, you know what? He didn't accomplish a damn thing. You, p- people really, I, I know that this seems petty and like, oh, you know, it's 100 days you didn't get that much stuff done. Your point of 100 days is not really that important of a deadline should be taken but when he was sure. running for president when he was no. running for no. president yeah remember all the things on day one blah 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 oh, yeah. day no. one we're gonna yeah. do this yeah. we're gonna repeal obamacare on day one they couldn't even get that done the thing that republicans have been promising their constituents their base for seven years now. They couldn't even get that done. And they have the House, um, the Senate, and the White House. Yeah. So, they like, it, this yeah. isn't petty or, like, look what you didn't do. You promised to get this done, and you can't get it done. And you have everything available to you to get it done. Here's I don't. <laughs> I wouldn't even talk about this if Donald Trump just said, you know what? I'm not going to play that 100 days game. Right. That's silly. Right. I would say, you know what? Good for you. If he was like, we're working on, here are all the things we're working on, and of course it's going to take a little longer than that. These are complicated issues, yeah. and I'm, I'm, our goal is to get them done. There's nothing magic about it has to be done to 100. If he stepped stuck to that, fine. But he's the one, he's the one who's saying, here's the standard, hold me to the standard. And when you do hold him to the standard, you see it's pretty pathetic. Uh, somebody does know how to get things done. Did know how to get things done. Not that he did everything that we wanted him to get done. Barack Obama, back yesterday, boy, you talk about somebody. He looked relaxed and rested and in good form. He was out at the University of Chicago uh, meeting with students there, uh, talking about civic involvement, encouraging them to get involved in uh, um, the life of their community. And that's one way they could really, really make a difference. Uh, Barack Obama saying, How great to be home again. It is wonderful to be home. It is wonderful to be at the University of Chicago. It is wonderful to be on the south side of Chicago. Mm. Uh, (laughs) And it is wonderful to be with these young people here. And he's been uh, away for a while, you know. He's over in Tahiti. He's working on his book. So he wanted to sort of like catch up. So, uh... (laughs) What's, what's been going on while I've been gone? <laughs> yeah. no, I love when he laughs at his own lies. But, you know, he puts... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, also, when he gets in front of a crowd like that, he yeah. puts on that, uh, you know, what's been going on when I've been gone? Yeah. <laughs> what's, yeah. what's been going on while I've been gone? He gets very folksy. <laughs> very he gets folksy, very folksy. Yeah. Uh, and of his goals, what's the most important thing he, as a great role model and as a former president, can do? The single most important thing I can do is to help in any way I can prepare the next generation of leadership. Yeah. Uh, and that's what he was. Uh, that's what he was all about uh, yesterday. And meanwhile, on another front, you know, uh, a little we we mentioned this yesterday, and a little flap, not a little flap, a big flap has occurred now in the Democratic Party, a Democratic Party which uh, God knows uh, has a lot of work to do, a lot of comeback to do, uh, a lot of reorganization to do, revitalization to do, if you will. Uh, under new leadership. And I was feeling pretty good about where the Democratic Party was going, you know? Okay, I supported Keith Ellison, but we got Tom Perez. Tom Perez and Keith Ellison said they're going to work as a team. Keith Ellison, the vice chair of the Democratic Party. Uh, we got MoveOn.org and uh, Our Revolution and all the other groups that are working with them to get new candidates and to... And to, to get candidates out there running for city council and for state legislature and for governor, not a new life in the party. Emily's list, 11,000 women who signed up uh, to run for office this time around, all at, at, at every level. There's a lot of energy out there. You know, the March on Science, the Climate March, the Women's March, not that they're all Democratic Party activities, but they're certainly part of the opposition to Donald Trump. I'm feeling pretty good. And then Tom Perez and Bernie Sanders go off around the country on a on a on a, a, a whole series of rallies, you know, to reinvigorate the Democratic Party, and now suddenly the Democratic Party this has devolved into a fight among Democrats about abortion. This is the last thing the Democratic Party needs. How crazy! How stupid to allow this to happen. But it started when Keith Ellison and Bernie Sanders. Uh, the vice chair and Senator Sanders went to Omaha and endorsed the Democratic candidate for mayor, Henry Mello. Henry. Uh, Heath. Heath. You know what? There was a state senator in California that I worked with by name of Henry Mello. Oh, so really? I keep, yeah, I keep jumping to that. Heath. This is Heath Mello. I don't know whether there's any relation or not. Who is a Democrat, is a progressive, also is a Catholic, and happens to be anti-choice. Uh, when that was discovered, suddenly people came out and said, oh, my God, and how could the DNC endorse this guy? How could Bernie Sanders endorse this guy? How could you support any Democrat who is not pro-choice? And then Tom Perez backed off, backed off, and yesterday, in effect, said, I mean, I don't have his exact quote in front of me, but I read it again this morning just to be sure he said what he said, and he did. He said, you can't be a Democrat if you're not pro-choice. Oh, my God, how wrong uh, and how unnecessary and what a stupid, stupid fight. I mean, this is the last thing, again, the Democratic Party needs. Look, to me, I am a thousand percent pro-choice, but I think what Nancy Pelosi said on Meet the Press on Sunday uh, is absolutely right. And by the way, there is nobody who is stronger for women's right to choose than Nancy Pelosi. I've known her a long time. This has been one of the big causes and issues of her life. Nobody would dare question 
Nancy Pelosi's support on this issue. But, you know, here's her practical response to Chuck Todd. Can you be a Democrat and the support of the Democratic Party if you're pro-life? Of course. Of course. I have served for many years in Congress with members who have not shared my very positive, uh, my family would say, aggressive position on promoting a woman's right to choose. Yeah. End of story. To me, this is a no-brainer, Democrats. Come on. The Democratic Party is the party of choice. Pro-choice Democratic Party. It's in our platform. It's in our DNA. There's no doubt about it. If you're a Democrat, you should be absolutely, absolutely. That's what the party stands for. Now, are there some Democrats in that Democratic under that Democratic Party banner who disagree and who are not pro-choice? Yes. Okay. The Republican Party is the party that opposes a women's right to choose. The Republican Party is the anti-choice, anti-women's productive rights party. No doubt about it. That's in their DNA. That's in their party platform. Are there some Republicans who are pro-choice? Yes. By the way, I've seen a figure. I saw one this morning that 24 percent of Democrats actually are anti-choice. That's that's I question that number, but that's a big, whatever the percentage is, I think the point is, to me, it's a very practical decision. Uh, In a Democratic primary, I would always vote for a pro-choice Democrat over an anti-choice Democrat. Yeah. I mean, there could be a case where somebody was so bad on all the other issues, but generally that would be my rule. That's, that's, That's how important it is to me. But you put up an anti-choice Democrat who's good on every other issue, whether it's a death penalty or education or um, gun control or whatever, environmental, climate change, you name the issue. You put up a, a Democrat who's good on all those issues but not good on choice against a Republican who's bad on every single issue. Damn right I'll vote for that anti-choice Democrat. I mean, it's just, if the other it's, option it's a no, is a Trump Republican. Yeah, no brainer. It's a no brainer. So, I mean, come on, Democrats, get off of this. I mean, there's no doubt what the what the Democratic Party stands for, who the Democratic Party is, what the vast majority of Democrats believe. And we should be big enough as a party to be willing to accept somebody like a Senator Bob Casey from Pennsylvania, who's a damn good Democrat and a damn good senator who happens not to be pro-choice. We should support somebody from, like, Tim Kaine, senator from Virginia, who is a Catholic, who his faith tells him uh, abortion is not acceptable. But Tim Kaine has never done anything in his public career as an elected official to take away or to limit a woman's right to choose and certainly would never vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, So... Uh, so so th- that's that's the issue. And I just again, I can't believe that Democrats have allowed themselves to get into this, into the culture wars and, and into a war. Of this is the last thing the Democratic Party needs. Let's stand united as Democrats and fight Donald Trump instead of fighting each other. Maybe we could do that. that sort of be- for a change. Yeah. That would be a change of pace for Democrats to fight the other party. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I'm particularly disappointed in Tom Paris. Uh, again, I supported Keith Ellison, but uh, and, and nothing against Tom. He's a, he, he's always been a strong progressive, 
Uh, and I was, uh, I'm disappointed. This is sort of the first test of his leadership, uh, and uh, I think he failed it. One of the other things to consider in this argument about where the Democrats stand and, and <clears throat> how much room we have in the party for views like this is if we're going to win and we're going to be dominant and we're going to govern, we have got to go after some voters who are pro-choice or excuse me, are pro yeah. or, or anti-choice. I should say anti-choice. And so there's Democrats have this thing where like you they, they look for this pure candidate. And if you're not 100 percent pure, then you have absolutely no room for them at all. And look, abortion's a big one. It Keith is. Mello's wrong on abortion. Uh, that being said, what's your other option at yeah. this point? By the way, oh, Elizabeth Warren, I just want to point out, Elizabeth Warren um, also was uh, asked about this yesterday, yesterday with um, by uh, Jake Tapper, whether or not you uh, must be pro-choice in if you are a Democrat. Elizabeth Warren. D- does there need to be a big tent strategy that brings in pro-life Democrats as well? So I understand where I am and that not all my colleagues agree with me and not everybody who's a Democrat agrees with me. And that's okay with me. We got to have people in, but we've got to be in the fight. And I am in the fight on choice. I am in the fight on economics because I think this is the heart of where we are as a party. Well said, well said, Elizabeth Warren. Yes, indeed. Before we take a break, one other little thing we just point out, you know, um, Back to Russia. The Russian connection has not gone away, as no matter how badly Donald Trump would like it to go away. Uh, and we know there were three investigations underway, and we knew one of them was a joke, right? The House Intelligence Committee, particularly because of Devin Nunes, but even now under the new guy, I don't know who he is, the House is doing nothing. They're never going to get their act together because all they want to do is talk about leaks if they do anything at all. Uh, and I think Devin Nunez has destroyed their credibility once and for all. Uh, but there was the FBI investigation and the Senate investigation. And we had a lot of confidence in that Senate investigation because Richard Burr and Mark Warner came out and they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this seriously. It's a bipartisan effort. We're going to get to the bottom of this and the truth will come out. Well, it was reported yesterday by the Daily Beast, our good friend uh, Tim Mack, right? At the, mm-hmm. uh, and Michael Isikoff also from NBC that uh, don't, don't put up too much hope in what the Senate is doing. There, are, there is not one full-time staffer working on the Russian investigation. Not one. There are seven part-time staffers. Not one of them is a trained investigator. And so far, more than three months into their so-called investigation, they have not interviewed one single person from the Donald Trump orbit. Not Paul Manafort, not Roger Stone, not Jared Kushner, nobody, and not even one person working on this full time. So it looks like... She's getting swept away, man. uh, It looks like we're all going to have to depend on James Comey doing the right thing to take on Donald Trump. Yeah, how's that going to (laughs) work? How much trust do you have in James Comey? After what he did to Hillary Clinton. Oh, my God, man. I got to tell you. All right. Let's move on. Eliza Collins joins us next from USA Today to talk about will there be, among other topics, will there be a shutdown of the government this week? Stay tuned. 
What's, what's been going on while I've been gone? <laughs> Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. What do you say on a Tuesday, April 25? Good to see you today. Hello, hello, and welcome to The Bill Press Show. As we tackle the big stories of the day from our nation's capital, we're brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Girard. Uh, by the way, you may have seen Leo Girard uh, in a photo from the Oval Office last week uh, when uh, President Trump signed an executive order saying that we should investigate how we're going to uh, stop the Chinese from exporting uh, so much steel. Uh, and, of course, uh, that's good news for steel workers. And so Leo Girard, who hates Donald Trump, had to be there. That's tough. Standing in back of him. Uh, I saw the photo in the New York Times with this glum expression on the face of Leo Girard. And I emailed him and I said, I know why you had to be there, but you didn't look very happy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and he acknowledged it was a, a tough moment for him. But at any rate, the United Steelworkers, uh, great leadership of Leo Girard. Uh, check out their website at usw.org. So the Congress is back, which brings a big smile to the face of Elisa Collins, a congressional reporter <laughs> for USA Today. No more recess. <laughs> no. Aren't you glad to have those boys no. and girls back in town? I am. I missed yeah, the You missed capital. them, didn't you? I did. Oh, yeah, right. Mm, missed those liar. late nights standing outside of their meetings, <laughs> seeing if they're going to do health care. Liar, liar, pants on fire. So um, uh, let's cut right to the chase. Is the government going to shut down at the end of the week? I don't think so. Well, we heard. So the one kind of sticking point that we've been hearing about is wall funding. That's something that the president is insisting on. It sounds like Republicans and Democrats were actually doing pretty well negotiating and in a bipartisan fashion. But the White House wants some wins before 100 days. So they said they were going to insist on wall funding. We're now seeing Politico's reporting that last night Trump had a reception with conservative media outlets to thank them for their fair coverage, is what he yeah, said. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, uh-huh. And during that, he made some news, and he said— That's right. I'm just waiting for the reception that he'll have for the uh, progressive and the liberal <laughs> I think, media I think you're outlets. next week. I think you're next yeah, week for so. your right. fair coverage. <laughs> um, he said— <laughs> Basically that, yes, it might happen, wall funding might happen this week, or it might happen in September, which is kind of a sign that they were maybe backing off because it would look, it would be a bad thing if the government shuts down because the White House is insisting on this wall that Democrats will not do, and a lot of Republicans don't even want at this point, wouldn't look good. Right. Um, I heard Chuck Schumer say uh, that there is not one Republican who represents the uh, the border that supports the wall. Is that correct? I think that's a broad way to say that, but I do know that but Republicans... There are a lot of Texas, right. I've seen several Texas Republicans who have said, who represent that area. Who have said it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I know that you, when you talk to someone like a John McCain or Jeff Flake, they're not going to outright say the wall doesn't work, but they'll say things like, we need E-Verify or technology... Mm. So 
I think Republicans are still trying not to break too much with their president, but everybody, when you talk to Republicans and especially staff, they're like, yeah, well, the wall's not going to actually be on the wall. And I'm like, well, that, or on the border. And I'm like, well, that's what he promised. Right. So they seem there's a little bit of division. You know, this is such the, a big thing for the Trump administration, oh though, the wall. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's become so cloudy. It's a, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it yeah. was very, very easy on the campaign trail. We're going to build a wall, oh, yeah. and Mexico's going to pay for it. And so now it's become, well, we're going to pay for the wall, and we might end up getting some money back from Mexico for a little bit further on down the line. We're not totally sure how. And then, oh, well, <clears throat> you know, we're not going to build the wall on the border specifically. We haven't even gotten to the fight about imminent domain, and the wall going to have is going to have to go through like a lot of private property. A lot of land. There's a lot of land there, and so to me, this is one of those things that Trump sold it as something very simple, and it's actually very, very complex. And yeah. this is not something the Trump administration does well. Complex issues, they don't do yeah. it very well. We saw with the Muslim ban, it's a complicated issue, and they got shot down twice. Uh- this is, I recognize a tangent, but since we've gone off on this tangent, I'll come back to this week. But as one more example, I, I, I never heard of anybody talk about this before, but Scott Pelley, CBS News last night, did a piece about the difficulty of building the wall. There is on the border an Indian reservation. This Indian reservation, half of it's in the United States and the other half is in Mexico. 62 miles of the border. <laughs> this Indian reservation yeah. is the size of Connecticut. Yeah. 62 miles of the border. So this isn't even federal property. It's by treaty. Right. Now, we could, again, screw the Indians like we've done you know, our entire history, but this is sacred Indian yeah, land. You can't just split you it up. You can't just, no, you can't just split it up. Wall. Right. Uh, and what are we going to do about that? I mean, just... Trump even know that, does he even think? So the whole concept of the wall. But again, what has really made the what looked like a smooth pass, path to a continuing resolution to keep the government open has suddenly been thrown this obstacle by the Trump White House, at least initially saying, we want funding for the wall in that bill. Right. And they're not complete. They haven't completely backed off. It's yeah. reports that he said maybe now, maybe September. Yeah. I do think that's significant because Trump is a master of spin. And if he can kind of start planting the seeds that it's not going to be this weekend, yeah. maybe then by the time Friday rolls around, it won't be such a shock to his supporters who were like, wait, where's that wall funding? OK, so first he says we're going to have the funding for the wall. Now he says maybe not. All right. He also says before the end of the week, before 100 days. We're going to have repeal of Obamacare. Is that going to happen? That is, I don't think that's going to happen. That is something that I've been covering very closely. And I spent, I guess, two weeks ago, the first week of recess in North Carolina with Mark Meadows, who was, of course, oh, the right. what the one of the leaders on opposition of uh, Obamacare, but he's also really close with Trump. And so after that happened, he went back to the table really quick and was like, let's try to find a deal how much of that is spin for not wanting to be blamed for this? How much of that is, you know, actually wanting a thing? We don't know. But um, so all last week, him and Tom MacArthur, who is Tuesday group, which is moderate Republicans, have been wheeling and dealing. And they came up with this amendment released last week. Apparently, it would bring on 25 to 30 Freedom House Freedom Caucus members, which would, of course, be enough to pass this bill. Well, how many Tuesday group members would it lose? Not clear. 
thing about the bill <laughs> is that, or the amendment, is that I looked at it and it basically brings back a bunch of different parts of um, Obamacare that are really popular. So under 26, pre-existing conditions, you can't be discriminated against for age. So the moderates can go home to New York and New Jersey and these places that are fairly liberal or at least more moderate and say, look, I'm bringing all of this stuff back. The conservatives win, which I, I would argue is more powerful on this, is that any state can waive those things if they prove that premiums are going to go down. Well, of course, premiums are going to go down if you um, get rid of yeah, mandates yeah, because yeah, it's going to be right, cheaper. Right, right. So, but both of them arguably could go spin it, and a place like New York and New Jersey probably won't waive those things. So they kind of do make out with more but, mandates all right, than before. But where's the bill? Bill hasn't come. And that was a well, thing. Yeah, that, so you can't pass it without <laughs> right. the bill. So that was what I was told coming Friday night, coming Saturday, coming. You know, and so all weekend we were like on bill watch and never showed up. And yesterday I texted a bunch of guys in the Freedom Caucus and was like a bunch of aides and was like, got the text? Have you gotten the text? No, 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 no. Nothing else. Just no, period. Wow. Because the White House said they were coming out with text and then they also said that it would be voted on, I think, Thursday. So yeah, tax reform right, Wednesday, right. healthcare Thursday, government shutdown Friday. Yeah. Which was already pretty insane, wacky. Insane. Yeah, so it's it's again back to Trump you wanting hundred day wins. You have to you have to wonder whether Trump really understands how Congress works. I mean, there are also, by the way, we're just talking about the House now, right? There's right. also yeah. by the way, there's also the Senate. Which are like a little bit more of the grown ups in the room. Yeah, and the yeah. idea the idea which is not gonna happen that you could even get it out of the House on by on Wednesday or third Thir- that was supposed to be Thursday, Thursday sandwich between Thursday, tax right. reform and government Thursday, shutdown. okay. That you get it out of the House on Thursday. You're going to get it out of the Senate in one day? No. I mean, no. And the Senate, is- the Senate is not going to be okay with this. <clears throat> I mean, it's a master-crafted bill because everyone can go home and say they won. The Senate is not going to be okay with that. You already have. Yeah, they're smarter. And you'll lose Republicans. Quit. Susan Collins is not okay with the Planned Parenthood defund. You have Lisa Murkowski, who might also not be okay. You have a bunch of senators who are uncomfortable with the Medicaid. I yeah. mean, there are things that were in the original bill that people are still stuck All on. Right. So there's not going to be a government shutdown. There's not going to be a <laughs> repeal of Obamacare. Um, but can we remind ourselves that Republicans control all three branches of government here? Right. I mean, and, and they control um, all three branches of government, yes, but also the House, the Senate, Senate and the and White House. Right. And promised repeal. And they still can't get their act together. Yeah. I mean, this is not Democrats versus Republicans. This is Republicans who can't get their act together. Well, and that's such an Correct? interesting thing about the government shutdown is you saw Chuck Schumer say, hey, Mitch McConnell and I were working very well on this. Why? I think at one point they, he told Mick Mulvaney, who's the Office of Management and Budget um, head of it, to s- just stay out. We've got this. And then the White House said, well, we want the wall. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's actually <laughs> this weird kind of bipartisan, I mean, Obamacare repeal will not be a bipartisan, but right. you're yeah. seeing Congress who understand the, the rules and things In terms of easy. keeping the government running, right, without right. all these outside stuff thrown thrown on it, like, like Trump is doing with the wall. So let's go back to Wednesday uh, and tax reform. The president says, you know, how big it is, how complicated it is, how important it is, and he's going he's gonna to announce his plan on Wednesday, and we're going to have that by the 100 days. 
well, the plan by 100 days, but apparently that won't be done for months. But the plan I'm hearing is going to be pretty broad. No one's really expecting a lot of detail. And then we're hearing that Trump's going to cut the corporate tax rate to 15 percent, which even some Republicans are saying that's not going to work. That's a massive. It's 35. 35 yeah. Yeah. 35 to 15. It's a. That, so his definition check. of tax reform is cutting his own corporate taxes. Well, and there will be apparently individual and there will be. I saw that you can put it on a postcard. You can do your tax returns on a postcard. Um, but the one number, I believe, I've only seen that one number, which is 35 to 15 percent. Right. But no, we haven't seen anything more. Well, it's interesting. I was at the briefing on Friday where Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin came in uh, talking about the financial executive orders Trump was going to sign that afternoon, and he got some questions about tax reform. Uh, this was at noon on Friday, and he said, uh, again, it's very complicated. We are working on it. We're having meetings it's going to take some time to put a plan together, but that's what we're working on with members of Congress, with members of the administration. And, you know, over the next couple of weeks, months, whatever, we'll kind of roll it out, right? That afternoon, Donald Trump says, next Wednesday, you're going to see my plan. With Steve Mnuchin, I'm sure, <laughs> said, what the hell? Yeah, he's like, I just said months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, th- I really think this 100-day thing is a big deal for Trump, yeah. I think Trump is an image conscious guy. Yeah. He and says it's in, he says it's not. Right. On the other hand, I think had he had some policy wins, he would have, you know, this would be blasted everywhere. Hundred days is a very simple, even in terms of like branding, right? Like, which is where he lives. It's a very simple concept to grasp. Presidents can point to their first hundred days and say, "This is what I got done in the first hundred days." A lot of presidents have done it. Donald Trump, not a details guy. This is very low on details. You know what I mean? So, like, this really does mean something to him. And he's a cable news guy. And think about the lower thirds. Trump's 100 days. Yeah. You know, like, he knows that. He is, he's brand. So he can say it's not a big deal. What did he say? It's not a big deal, even though I did a lot. Supreme yeah, Court justice. Right. Which was <laughs> arguably a, his biggest win for Republicans and conservatives was Neil Gorsuch. But right now, policy-wise, Obamacare, no. Tax reform, no. Can't even get wall spending, which was his right, right. campaign. Now, as Center. Peter Baker points out this morning uh, in the New York Times, uh, he said about the 100-day test, uh, it's an artificial barrier. Uh, it's not very meaningful. It's a ridiculous standard, right? At the same time, uh, we were told yesterday at the White House that um, – this week, they're going to have uh, first 100-day briefings, so we all know what was accomplished. There's a whole series of first 100-day receptions. They have set up a first 100-day website at the White House. And, of course, on Saturday, he's going to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, for a first 100-day rally to celebrate all that he has accomplished in his first 100 days. Which is so. weird because <laughs> if they don't want to draw attention to it, they should. Yes. they should maybe not do that. Right. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Right, but Trump then, loves I, a rally. But I think the and more attention they, the more attention they draw to it, as we talked about in our, in our first half hour together today, the and and the closer you look, not at the flurry of activity, but what was actually accomplished on the ground, not a lot there. But my question is, how many people are looking that close? 
we're in Washington, we're in this all the time. Uh, is the average voter, are they looking that close? No. I, I think the Obamacare repeal is a big, I think people know that. Yeah. But other than that, no, no. Trump signs a bunch of things. They see it. They see American workers, you know, the economy. People feel that's one thing that he has a lot of confidence on. I don't know. I think that's a valid point. Care. I do it think that's a valid, valid point. point. But I think the polls show that I, do, I think the American people see through the smokescreen. 42% approval rating. It's the lowest of any president in modern times. Despite all this flurry of activity, they don't see anything happening. That's another interesting thing where Trump calls attention to negative things. He was tweeting all about those polls yesterday, which he used to do during the campaign. But it, he was saying, you know, despite these polls being lies, they're not that bad. And it was like, well, you're it's the lowest rating in modern history. Yeah. Why, why would you call attention to it? So overall, I think there's an issue here that underlies everything we've been talking about, underscores everything we've been talking about, which is what is the relationship between Republicans in Congress and Donald Trump. I mean, a lot of them didn't support him. We know that. But now he's the president. He's the president of their party. Uh, you would think they'd be working pretty closely together. Dan Balls has a piece in the Washington Post this morning pointing out that there's this real, you know, conflict between his kind of Republican or his kind of personality, maybe, right, businessman, and the way Congress operates. Well, I think what you said, he's the president and he's the president of their party. And I think that is, they have to give him that. And we saw, I mean, we're already- but That doesn't mean they bend over, right? Right. I think at first there was a little bit more, um, I don't know if a trust given or what is the right word, but because they want, they had to have an ambitious agenda. But now I think that they're seeing like, okay, the White House is coming over and talking to Congress, and it's not really helping. Trump is very close with the Freedom Caucus. He couldn't get the Freedom Caucus on board. He okay. brought them all down to the White yeah, House. Yeah, like yeah. A, but a lot. And Pence, yeah. I was with Meadows in North Carolina, and this was Healthcare Reboot 1000. But um, Meadows was talking to a civics class, and I was sitting next to his chief, and Mike Pence called multiple times. I mean— they're they're uh, close. They're yeah. talking. These guys are powerful. But if he if they can't bring them on board, I think you know the moderate businessman establishment Republican who cares about the rules of Congress, who doesn't love Trump, who doesn't love the administration, is kind of like, what were you what were you good for? I mean, you're supposed to help us with our ambitious agenda, and if you can't even help us with that, we're not going to defend those late night tweet storms. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're there yet, but I think right. you're starting to see frustration. Right. How does Paul Ryan survive? Paul Ryan's in a tough spot. I yeah, think he is. <laughs> yeah, he is. God, I feel so sorry for him. Yeah, but it just breaks my heart. God bless him. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I think there's a lot of pressure for him to give Trump some wins um, yeah. right now. I mean, back to this 100-day thing. I also think there's pressure. Paul Ryan knows that things need to pass. I mean, last week with... Again, healthcare reboot. The leadership was saying, "Yeah, we'll bring that up when we can have the votes. We're not doing that again. We're not talking about this unless we know we have the 216 votes." So I think he's he's knows his caucus and he knows his caucus is divided. And then he has a president who's they don't have a lot of history. It's a good relationship. The whole disaster of the repealing of Obamacare. And to be clear, it was a disaster. It was a total debacle. Uh, for all the grief that Donald Trump got for that, 
that was Paul Ryan's failing. I mean, really, I mean, you well, they, you, you look yeah. at, I mean, Trump didn't do any favors, but Paul Ryan was the guy that was made this sort of arbitrary deadline to vote on it when they didn't have the votes. He's the guy that like had seven years to come up with a better plan for Republicans or at least show the way. And like just completely flatlined. I think there was probably a mix because I think that Ryan might have come up with that deadline, but that's not I don't think Ryan would have come up with such a short deadline had there not been pressure from the White House. Mm. Because Ryan understands whipping and he understands these things and he understands what the Freedom Caucus can do. I think there was I mean, we saw the bill be the bill was rushed. What was it, like eighteen days yeah. or something? Uh, yeah. yeah, right. I think had the White House not been pushing for this. I mean, Trump said this would happen day one. So now we're on what day like sixty? <laughs> He's like, come on, get this to happen. But also, yeah. Ryan Ryan did commit to them that he could deliver in that time frame, and he didn't. You know, they put all their faith in Paul Ryan, and uh, and he 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 failed. He failed. Right. I was just noticing, by the way, um, that Donald J. Trump uh, tweeting <laughs> just a minute ago. Um, that he is proud of Ivanka Trump for her leadership on these important issues. Looking forward to hearing her speak at the W20. Uh, so in Ivanka Germany. Trump is yeah. uh, in, in a, she, she is the almost the acting first lady, right? In the absence of Melania, I, uh, I would argue, yeah, yeah, and She's she is being sent as uh, representing the United States. Uh, representing the president of the United States to this uh, summit on women's issues and other issues, I guess, in Berlin. Yeah. Uh, which is certainly unusual, to say the least. Well, just before <laughs> The first I was, daughter, right? Yeah. I mean, that's... Elevated to that status. There's lots of unusual things right now. But as I was just walking in, I was looking at um, Twitter and reporters that are with her said, she said something like, my dad has been a champion of women or families. Um, and she was booed and hissed. Oh, Wow. So I don't think she's getting the easiest reception. <laughs> Although Ivanka is diplomatic. I mean, she's probably having more diplomatic conversations than someone else in the administration. Or but if they president. wanted somebody to speak on women's issues, uh, they could have sent Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> oh, uh, Donald Trump's friend. Or Trump himself. The two of them, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, man. Um so, um, you know, talking so much about the House, what's going on in the Senate? I mean, it, I don't know. We just we just talk about the House all the time. I know. No, um, the Senate. They has just seem been, to be sitting back and you know. They, I think no. They did confirm Neil Gorsuch by changing the rules, right? The biggest. But conference. other than that, they've been on the sidelines almost. I do think, and this is an argument that um, they make, but I I think in some ways it's true. They're in the um, staffing business right now. I mean. Mm. They're constantly dealing with these appointments. Yeah. And it really is. Which have not been made, a lot of them. Yeah, a lot of them have not been made. But they're still, I mean, they just did Sonny Perdue yesterday. I mean, they are still staffing the cabinet. And as much flack as you want to give them, that does take, the Senate has all these rules and you have to open it and leave it open for a long time and then debate. And there's, you know, it's a pretty party line thing. And so there's lots of back and forth on all of these people. I do think that's a big time suck. I also think the Senate is sort of like Obamacare repealed, things like that. They're like, let the House. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just keep thinking of the Russia probe when the House 
committee just had that complete disaster. And then the Senate came out and we're like, we are the grown-ups in the room. I trust you. No, I trust you. No, I trust you. And I yeah. think it was like that. Although we did learn yesterday they haven't gotten a hell of a lot done. And, and they don't even have one full-time staffer working on it. At any rate, you heard it from Eliza Collins, as she knows, for USA Today, usatoday.com, that there will be no uh, Obamacare repeal this week, no tax reform. But the government will keep running. Thank you, Eliza. Great Thank to see you. you. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Now we know what Donald Trump thinks tax reform is all about cutting his corporate taxes for the Trump empire from 35% to 15%. Screw the rest of you. He'll take care of himself. Hello, everybody. Here we go. Tuesday, April 25. It is the Bill Press Show. So good to see you today. And thank you for joining us as we boom out to you coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. That's our nation's capital. We'll bring you up to date on all the news of the day here from Washington around the country and around the globe, and most importantly, look forward to uh, hearing from you what you think about it all. You know how to do so. Go on Twitter and send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Simple enough. Uh, you know, there's so much going on. We can't get uh, get through it all without the help of good friends uh, and one of our favorites here joining us for this hour as a FOB, friend of Bill, Emma Roller formerly with the New York Times, now with Fusion Senior Reporter. Hi, Emma. Yes, hi. Nice to see you. Congratulations on the back. new job. Thank yep. you. Thank you. Starting my second week there. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Off and running and already <laughs> already stirring things up. Yes, yeah. already mixing it up. It's yeah. like prison. You have to go and beat up someone on your first day. It's right? exactly like you have to find somebody, the biggest, baddest person in there, and then you have to take him down. <laughs> Peter would know. Whoa. Whoa. Too real. Uh, yes, new job, sort of like serving in prison. Never thought of that. Yeah. Put those two together, but there we go. Anyhow, <laughs> we will jump into the news of the day with Emma Roller and with all of you. But first, this all right. is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of the stories making news. How about this? A uh, in New Jersey, a post office worker, a postal worker, mail carrier, was using her job to smuggle cocaine. Oh. Which really, if you're going to do it, is pretty good idea, right? Because, like, you're always on the road, you're moving around a lot. You know what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's been arrested with first-degree narcotics violations. What she was doing is she had cocaine and then was making the rounds on her postal run and was making cocaine drops as well, along with dropping off the mail. She was also uh, dropping off cocaine. She has been busted uh, and been caught and been charged with uh, two counts of first-degree possession of cocaine with a tip to distribute. 
and related conspiracy charges. So, got it. my uh, post <laughs> postal delivery man is uh, or person is uh, just so much. More that, boring. I was going to say, it's right in the tagline. Neither snow nor... <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> yes. uh, 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 yeah. 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 Well, this is one way they could compete with, you know, FedEx right. and UPS, you know, just, uh, you know, slinging on the side. Uh, this is kind of uh, screwed up. The TV writers just authorized a strike that would black out late night. Yeah. We talked yeah. about this before. We weren't sure if they were going to do this or not, but the TV writers have voted, and the Writers Guild of America, they voted overwhelmingly to authorize a strike. This is all comes down to a contract agreement with the Alliance of Motion Pictures and Television Producers. They need to get this agreement reached before May 1st. They don't have an agreement yet. So we might not see late-night shows, Saturday Night Live, Colbert. All of them, huh? All of them. All yeah. of them are going to go oh, dark because they're not going to have any It's a lot. That's a lot of power. <laughs> yeah, right. So if it begins, it would begin May 2nd. It would, it would cause an immediate late night blackout. So it, it we don't know how long it could last. But so they, which would be which would be worse for New York, a transit strike or a, a late night writer <laughs> strike? <laughs> Considering how much our, our current president watches uh, oh, no doubt. Like Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Does he still TV watch show? SNL? I think so. You think so? Oh, yeah. I do think so. He watches so. it all. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I do think he just consumes mm. all of it. I love that Bannon loved the portrayal of him on Saturday Night yeah. Live, but Trump hated it. Yeah, yeah. But like- <laughs> Bannon is the Grim Reaper on it, SNL. Yeah. Yeah. In a weird, like, messed up way, you know, these types of shows have more influence than over Trump than a lot of legitimate news sources. So they're kind of important these days. He is the most compulsive TV watcher. Yeah. Well, did ever. you read that, um, his interview with the I did. Oh. We'll talk about it. Yes. All right. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. How about it on a Tuesday, April 25? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome uh, to the Bill Press Show here. Bringing you up to date on the news of the day from our nation's capital, our studio here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. And we are reaching out to you on every possible platform, all part of the Young Turks Network. We're looking at you on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. That's where you find us. And that's where you sign up to be a regular uh, follower and supporter of the program. doesn't cost you anything, so just go sign up and you'll, get, you'll hear from us uh, several times a day with uh, important updates on the news of the day. We're looking at you on Free Speech TV. Great to see you uh, nationwide on Free Speech TV. And also in uh, the Chicago area, joining you on WCPT. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Send us your comments at any time on any topic on Twitter at BP Show. I'm a roller here from Fusion. Um, what's going to happen this week? Are we going to have a government shutdown? Uh, I mean, Sean Spicer said that the White House says it likely won't happen, so that is worrisome in itself. <laughs> that Sean Spicer said it's not going to happen. That that means it could. Uh, that, means, that means it's going to happen. That means, that means there is like a 100% chance. at least a 95% <laughs> chance it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, 
What do you think? Shut I down. don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that. I think they realize that uh, that would be political suicide. Yeah. And the he, fact that Trump backed off of the, the wall funding a little bit well, and kicked it down the road a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and his tweet about it had about five different Jesus. qualifying clauses in it. And it was, we need to start please. later so we can, wait, we can. You, I want to pull it up because it it's such a disaster. Uh, it was such a contrast, mm-hmm. as you're pulling up, such a contrast to what he said during the campaign which had no conditions whatsoever. It was emphatic. We're going to build the wall, and Mexico's going to pay for it, period, Mm -hmm. end of story. And then he tweeted, eventually, but at a later date, so we can get started early, Mexico will be paying in some form for the badly needed border wall. (laughs) At a later date, so we can get started. Eventually, at a later date, so we can get started early, Mexico will be paying in some form for the badly needed border wall. I was talking to a friend last night, and it's like it's <laughs> it's our it's our problem for not having like knowing the n- very pioneering new like <laughs> tense verb tense that he's using there. <laughs> so it makes total the man sense. Is a visionary. Yeah, it's but, like a future perfect <laughs> past clause. But you know, you know, when I was in grade school, I used. I know the dork forever, but I used to love to diagram sentences. No, Isn't that what you call loves di- did No, you like I did. Diag- no, nobody no, likes diagramming I sentences. Yeah, this and then you know, I could, I just remember putting all those little. little you should diagram his tweets. That's what I was. That's, that's impossible just, to diagram. No, that would be <laughs> impossible is, to diagram. Yeah, yeah. Um, so all the pride that I took in learning to diagram. <laughs> that must drive you crazy. Oh yeah, I hear something like that. I'm thinking. Doing algebra in your head. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but going back to the border wall promise, I just it, the stories of the past week have made me think about. You know, I was with a bar full of Trump supporters on election night in Tampa. And, you know, when he won. There's a line. Yikes. (laughs) When he, you know, when it became clear that he was going to win, I, you know, I went and talked to everyone like about, you know, um, what promises do you hope that he follows through on? What do you think he should get done in his first 100 days? And the top two things were build the wall. And repeal Obamacare, mm-hmm. um, and look at where those two promises have gone. And he he said in an interview that you know he's being held to, or maybe it was a tweet that he's being held to an unfair standard. But he his he campaign released he, yeah. a 100 days memo. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And um, we talked a little earlier. I didn't realize I'd forgotten this because he made so many promises. But um, Garrett. Major Garrett on CBS News last night pointed out, and he raised this question at the briefing as well, that two two weeks before the election in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, Donald Trump gave a My First 100 Days speech. Right. He called it his Gettysburg Address. And right. he, had, he had 28 specific points that he was going to accomplish in the first 100 days, including 10 pieces of legislation, not one of which has been introduced. I, I really think that... So he yeah. laid the marker out. Yeah, I really think that you know, not only Trump's ego is is butting up against reality, but also, you know, the realities of who he's appointed to be on his cabinet. Um, there was an interesting uh, statistic or factoid in a recent story about how none of the senior White House leadership has passed a major bill before through Congress. So it's no surprise that yeah. they're uh. having so much trouble putting together a real platform and governing 
now that even though they control all branches of government, essentially. Right. Um, uh, it's and of course, with Trump on the one hand saying it's a ridiculous standard, we should just forget about this 100 days, which I would agree with, by the way. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, saying I've accomplished more than any other president in history, then that forces you to actually look at what he has accomplished mm-hmm. in the real in the real world. What what concrete thing? You think of the three big things, right? Were from his campaign: repeal Obamacare, ban all Muslims from coming to this country, build the wall. Right. All th- the three of them, none of them, mm-hmm. not, not not accomplished. But which is not to uh, <coughs> underestimate how much damage the Trump administration has been able to do for See, that's key immigrants. Too. Mm-hmm. Yes. And especially what we've seen with DACA, even though he's kind of walked that back. Um, and so, or the damage yeah. they've been able to do to the environment, particularly through environmental regulation. Un- right. Undoing environmental right. Unwinding regulation. Unwinding those environmental regulations. Right. And, and rolling the clock back on on climate change. I mean, mm-hmm. I, th- I think in that area, it's been maybe his most most mm-hmm. damaging of all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the hardest to, because it's <coughs> it's Pardon not me. visible or it's mm-hmm. not as tangible as one as an embarrassing tweet, but that I think you're right. That could very well be his legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, there's a big effort now to revitalize, um, reboot the Democratic Party. Um, you're suggesting in your reporting that one big issue they may be missing the boat on is pot? Yes. So I wrote this uh, for Fusion uh, on 420. Uh, just uh-huh. <laughs> Blaze it. <laughs> Blaze it all day long. Um, and I saw you guys had fun on your 420 I was going to say, do you know, we celebrated I'm, I'm on a little, 420. I'm a, just a little offended you didn't invite me oh, on. Oh, you should have. <laughs> I'm, jo- oh. I'm joking. Yeah, you got baked. <laughs> um, that was the strongest pot I ever smoked. Oh, my bad, dude. I brought that in. <laughs> no, Why? You know, as Alex Jones says, George Soros has been making that's George Soros the pot strong. Oh. I brought you that George Soros that, weed. Were you testing it, it to yeah, make yeah, yeah, sure yeah, yeah, yeah. to test that's the your, strength? That's the only reason I even smoke pot anymore. I only smoke pot. I have to test it make sure. Because George Soros has made the weed so much stronger. I have to make sure to test it every day, every oh. single day. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> Did yeah, you eat yeah. any chili today? Are you forgetting? Don't ask me the tough questions. I had a bowl of meat and uh, chili and beans and... Uh, I can't remember things very well right now. <laughs> mm. uh, but I had to write a column after that. Yo, that was a that was poor planning on your part. How did I that know. turn out? He has no idea. It's the craziest, craziest <laughs> column I ever Pat wrote. Says <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even remember what I wrote about. <laughs> um. Anyway. All right. Yes. This back is, to your this story. Is, yeah. So I wrote a story. Uh, the headline is "Memo to Democrats: Weed is extremely popular, you dorks." Uh, which is a headline I probably could have never gotten away with at the the venerable gray lady. Um, I love it. But I'd love to have seen that headline on the opposite page <laughs> of the New York Times. For yeah. Democrats, an opening. Weed yeah. is popular. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but but seriously, uh, I argue in this piece that you know, like, not to equate all of these social issues, but like abortion. And like same-sex marriage before it, uh, legalized marijuana is an extremely important social issue. And it, it sort of gets, you know, made into a joke, uh, becomes the butt of the, a joke of like, oh, only, you know, stoners in college care about legalized weed or, you know, kind of that stereotype. Um, but legalizing marijuana would have huge ramifications for criminal justice reform and especially for um, the black community because 
black marijuana users, even though, you know, across uh, racial groups, there's pretty much the same rate of marijuana use. But black Americans get arrested for marijuana use Mm -hmm. at almost four Mm -hmm. times the rate as white Americans. And that disparity is even higher in cities like Chicago, which which seems a little counterintuitive because you think of big cities like that as being liberal. But obviously, there's still the police disparities at work. So I argue that Democrats should embrace legalizing marijuana and underlining it as a criminal justice issue, not so much as this sort of jokeified issue. Amen. Amen to that, by Uh the way. And it it is refreshing to know that there is a pot caucus in the United States Congress now. Mm -hmm. Our good friend, uh, Congressman Sam Fars, who retired this year, uh, was one of the founders of it. Mm -hmm. But um, there are there's still plenty of members left who, mm-hmm. who for all those reasons you point out, mm-hmm. uh, are are supporting and, and, and have the for other a long thing time. Is, and by the way, Democrats and Republicans, yeah, like Dana Rohrbacher from sure. Orange County, who's a known pothead. <laughs> right. Um, uh, there are openings on both sides. I just argued this for Democrats because uh, Jeff Sessions is the Attorney General and he's extremely anti. Well, well that's yeah. the thing. I mean, to, to me, right? Like for for pot smokers, recreational or medicinal or whatever, for years we've been seeing us just slide towards this inevitable legalization. Sure. Right? Like, I thought it was just a matter of time. I thought I'd see legalization across the board in my lifetime. But with Trump and with Jefferson Sessions and, and you know, all these other sort of anti-pot crusaders that have the ear of the president, it's clear that the fight goes on. And... Mm-hmm. The point you make is like Democrats just get on board, just get just get over this whole weird right. And I, I I think there's embrace it right. I think there is still a stigma that exists. Uh, it's like the same problem that the Democrats have, in my opinion, on single payer. They they tend to think that their own constituency is a lot more conservative than it actually is. Um, you know, the CBS poll I cite in there says. I think around 61% of Americans favor legalizing the use of marijuana. Um, Single payer is, I mean, or I should clarify, having the government provide for health care is also extremely popular. And yet Democrats in Congress are very wary to, you know, publicly endorse this, even though privately they may very well support this and it's it's a test it's of political courage. Yeah, but you know what? Um, I, 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 I was always disappointed in the Obama administration because um, they their position remained the same on on the federal level. But at least Obama looked the other way, whatever the states were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a little tense there for a while, but uh, he and Eric Holder made the decision they were not going to prosecute. Uh, or enforce federal right. anti-marijuana laws in states where voters had mm-hmm. voted to, to uh, legalize. I'm, I'm a little... Now, oh, sorry, go ahead. But w- the problem now is that this administration is just the exact opposite. And so we could very well see feds swooping into Colorado, mm-hmm. Oregon, Cal- California, mm-hmm. where people DC. have... D.C. Mm-hmm. People have the legal right... Uh, for recreational purposes mm-hmm. to smoke marijuana and they would uh, or to eat it or whatever imbibe it uh, and they would come in and arrest them for and charge them with a federal crime mm-hmm. that's what the that's the policy of this administration which really is just ass backwards mm-hmm. uh, my I, I'm a little surprised that they haven't moved more quickly to do that and and uh, I know um, 
Well, yeah. they get some pushback from the states for sure. Oh, definitely, especially because in states like Colorado, marijuana has been a huge, huge economic boom for them. Yeah. Huge. And by the way, these huge. federal, huge. the federal agents, I'm pretty sure I'm correct in saying this, it would be almost impossible for them to swoop into a locality without having the cooperation, cooperation. of the local law enforcement mm-hmm. who really realize now that they've got a lot better things to do, mm-hmm. right? Plus, half of them are probably smoking pot anyhow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I always, I, I often wondered at one point, I, I thought it was a race to see who would get to the 50 point first same sex marriage mm-hmm. or recreational use of marijuana. Mm-hmm. Clearly, well, same sex marriage I, yeah. took off, right? I, I and think it, people it's forget now the how, law of the land. Yeah. But I think people forget how very quickly the gay marriage debate accelerated and, and completely flipped from most uh, uh, Americans opposing it to I know. No, a it huge didn't, was, yeah. plurality yeah. supporting it. No, it was in a matter of and so I, yeah, I sort of less won- than a decade, maybe three, yeah. four, five years. I do wonder if we're entering that kind of period of acceleration with marijuana, but again, well, we're we're at eight states plus the District of Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that's the count. We just, of course, we celebrate. Right, it we, there's a tipping point, right? Yeah, exactly. And I don't know how many states are up uh, this mm-hmm. week. What what has to happen as um, our friends, I do recall this from our conversation on 420, pointed out is so far all the states, everything that's happened has been by referendum, mm-hmm. not by legislative action. Mm-hmm. I think Rhode Island could be the, Rhode Island could be the first state that does that mm-hmm. enacts by legislation. By legislation. Mm-hmm. The legislature does it, which means that it could happen a lot faster. And yeah, and that's a good point because if other and once that starts, then other Democrats in office will maybe see, oh, they're not getting kicked out of office for voting for this. I right. Maybe, yeah. Right. Now, you know, uh, Emma Rollins with us from uh, Fusion. Fusion.net is where you follow her and her colleagues there. Yeah, I agree with almost uh, everything you write for the New York Times <laughs> or for Fusion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But really, you're calling on Diane Feinstein? Uh-oh. <laughs> My friend, my senior senator from California, mm-hmm. you think she ought to step down? Well, okay. Why? Bill. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you read the piece, it is a very polite piece, and I do not want to discount any of uh, Senator Feinstein's accomplishments in office. She introduced the assault weapons ban. Um, she's been an outspoken women's health advocate, obviously, and and you know. She and Barbara Boxer and Nancy Pelosi created this triumvirate of female power in California that has never, you know, had never been seen at the national level before, really. Um, that said, she is the oldest serving senator. She is 83 years old. Is and, she um, older than Orrin Hatch? Yeah, she's the oldest currently serving senator. Um, but Orrin okay. Hatch is, I mean, I, I, I believe you, but I just, Orrin Hatch looks so old. <laughs> She doesn't. But, she doesn't. <laughs> no, no. Um, but my point in the piece is that the <laughs> the average he Democratic so voter, <laughs> <laughs> the average Democratic voter in California, is, I would say, significantly farther to the left in their ideology than where Senator Feinstein is, and I feel like this is a good opportunity for her to retire gracefully. Um, and I, I saw that her husband might be sick, and I, I'd seen recent reports that, you know, she's going to sort of, like, consider her health situation and 
uh, make a decision in the next six months. But my point is um, there's no reason to play at this charade of like, oh, maybe I will run when I'm 84. I really don't think she's planning to run for reelection, but it's this sort of song and dance that you have to play to retain your political power. Um, my point is why not, you know, just get out in front of the story early, say you're going to retire and ensure that you can have a really strong slate of candidates. That's basically my position, but willing to. (laughs) I'm not going to throw you out of the studio because you took that set. (laughs) But I would say uh, it's it's personal for me that in 99 cases out of 100, I would totally agree with you. And I've made the point myself. You know, you've had a good run. You've done a great job. Get out of the way and, <laughs> and make room for the next for the next generation of, of leadership. Uh, and, and we love you. And uh, more people, I think, should have taken the opportunity. And by the way, and some people, by not taking that opportunity, end up losing, right? Mm-hmm. And then and what could have just, been the yeah. glorious end of their career ends up an embarrassing mm-hmm. loss. And we could – there are many, many examples uh, of people uh, like that. Yeah, and, and it's not like if she but, does decide to run for re-election that somehow – I mean, it's California. They're going to elect a a Democrat. uh, Yeah, yeah. The exception I make is for Diane because I think she's been such a great Mm -hmm. senator and she's a very close personal friend. Mm -hmm. And um, and she is she is full of, you know, she not only looks younger, a lot younger than she is, younger than she is, but she is full of energy. She's one of the Mm -hmm. most hardest working, energetic, Mm -hmm. dynamic members of the U.S. Senate. Mm Today, happened, who happens to be the oldest member of the Senate. Yeah, she she was criticized for a recent town hall she had in San Francisco, but she was she was very energetic and interacting with the crowd. And, oh, yeah. yeah. By the way, yeah. we got some comments. And if you thing. have her, by the way, if, you just, if, yeah. if you have her on your side, you, you I'm telling you, she is a, a, a you know, bulldog. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, she'll go after that and, and never let go. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if she's against you on an issue, <laughs> <laughs> might as well. You might as well just throw in the towel because mm-hmm. she won't stop. She is a fighter. Uh, we got some comments on this in our chat room, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, a bunch of people already saying uh, that if she does step down, Ted Lou, mm-hmm. our friend Ted Lou, we've oh, had on the show, I, Ted Lou which should be the guy. He that, would uh, be great. Yeah. That yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at. So no, I love Ted Lou. Yeah. Going around a lot there. Mm-hmm. Somebody also pointed out that uh, Feinstein recently told the crowd that she opposed single payer. Right. So that was sort of the the peg for this. Mm, uh, mm. She gave a town hall in San Francisco, and um, some a constituent asked her how she will support moving toward a single payer healthcare system. And she said, "You know, if single payer means the government providing health care for everyone, I'm not there yet." And the crowd did not like that answer at all. I think it's the wrong answer. Mm-hmm. No, I do too. Uh, I understand where she's in the sense that she is the daughter of a doctor, a very mm-hmm. famous doctor in San Francisco. Oh, I didn't know very that. Very successful at the time. And her first husband, uh, who died of cancer, I believe, but certainly passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, she and Dick Blum have been married for a long time, mm-hmm. but her first husband was a doctor as well. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of her. Where she's coming from. Where she's coming mm-hmm. from, yeah. Uh, so over overall, um, we are now, like it or not, at the hundred-day mark in the in the Trump administration. Has this presidency proved to be what you expected, or worse than you expected? Yeah, because you you were out. We talked to you mm-hmm. so often during the campaign. You were out on the trail. 
particularly with uh, Donald Trump. To, to be completely honest, I feel like I hadn't even formulated an idea of what a Donald Trump presidency would look like because I still hadn't, <laughs> because even was, on election day, I had not wrapped my head around no. yeah, that idea. You never really thought it was a real possibility. Sure. Um, that said, I think Who did? No, I honestly, I Keith spent, Ellison. Uh, the, yeah, I spent the time between the election day and the inauguration, like not allowing myself to be emotionally available to deal with this. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was just kind of like, the uh, stages of grief or yeah. denial. Yeah. yeah. And it really hit me on the on inauguration day when I was watching this that this horror show. Mm-hmm. And now that we're in it, it's still like, I, I still like, will watch the TV and just go, what in the I, hell is yeah. going on? To answer your question, I think there are aspects Sorry. that have, no, you're fine. <laughs> um, I think there are aspects that have been, you know, worse than I expected, but there are also aspects where the team he's put together is just also incredibly incompetent at their jobs, it seems. And there's so much infighting and, you know, backstabbing. And there's these, you know, there's the Kushner faction and the Bannon faction and the Reince Priebus faction. Um, And I think he has struggled to, you know, follow through on his core campaign messages and also present a coherent vision of how he's actually doing things that are materially helping people's lives. Then again, I've somehow wound up in a private uh, pro-Trump Facebook group and they all think he's doing a great job. So um, his hardcore of support, even though his overall approval rating is, I think, in the high 30s or low 40s. Uh, 42 was the last one. Yeah. yeah. Um, that hardcore of his support, he could start a nuclear war and they would think he was great, you know? He could even um, shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue. Exactly. I mean, he said that and it was like <laughs> a horrific gaffe that would have ruined any other politician, but it's true. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Right. It's yeah. absolutely true. Like but, it, 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 all this like going back and forth about these Russia tapes of the mm-hmm. of the golden showers tapes. He survives that. Yeah. He would survive that. Like I can't think of many things he would not survive well, at this point. The apprentice tape, the Hollywood access tape, yeah. I'm sorry. Admitting to sexual assault on camera and bragging about and it. And bragging about it and moving on women like a bitch. Mm-hmm. He survived that. He he didn't just survive that. He got elected after that. But the one thing that I have to say is that, you know, Hillary kept making a point of this, as did we, that he was totally unprepared and unfit and ill-equipped to be president of the United States. Mm -hmm. I think that comes across every day. Oh, sure. You know, even worse than... What president has ever watched three hours of cable news to start their day? I mean, I, I highly doubt Obama did that. He certainly didn't live tweet... Fox and Friends. Um, it just tells you something about. Even during the, the day, they say him. that he runs into that little oval, uh, small office off the Oval Office to watch cable. <laughs> He's completely cable. addicted it, to TV in the in the day, and then they say at night when he goes back upstairs and mm-hmm. they, they have no control. You know, Did he, you see that that's thing? all he does. In that interview where he was talking about Spicer yeah. and whether or not yeah. Spicer survives, and he's you know, yeah, he, he goes, totally plays into the narrative and right. He said, plays he along said with I'm it. not going to fire Sean. He gets great ratings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the White House press briefing, he gets great ratings. 
And as long as he gets great ratings. That's why I think He's the only way to Jesus. sort of meaningfully criticize this White House in a way that they'll actually care about is to embarrass him. Yeah. yeah. You can't, even if you point out his hypocrisies, you know, how he's flip-flopped on essentially any important issue in politics, like that doesn't matter. That won't impact Mm-mm. him. But if you say that he looked dumb on, <laughs> you know, a morning show, or that a, will get under get his him. skin and by extension... Yeah. He or, will, yeah. Or SNL. But here's what's going to save the day. Emily's, Emily's List reports there are more women than ever before, by, by far, 11,000 latest count, who want to stand up and run for office this time around. Emily Crockett uh, is all over that, freelance journalist who joins me and Emma Roller and all of you in the next half hour here. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. They say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's, like, incredible. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Hey, how about a Tuesday, April 25, uh, the Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us as we uh, wind our way through the big stories of the day here. Coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers, the great men and women, Teachers of America making a big difference in the classrooms every day under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. We salute them, thank them for their support of the program, and we welcome to our conversation. I'm a roller here for the entire hour as a friend of Bill, formerly New York Times, now with Fusion. Uh, and uh, we're joined now by Emily, Emily Crockett. It's the Emma, Emily Show, if you please. <laughs> uh, Emily Crockett, formerly with Vox, now a freelance journalist. Welcome both. I, have, I actually, I don't a want to interrupt. breaking news? I, well, not breaking news necessarily, but I, I, I watch <clears throat> Donald Trump's tweets during the show, which might explain why I'm uh, miserable <laughs> all the time. Oh, uh, he tweeted oh, during the break, um, Canada has made business for our dairy farmers in Wisconsin and other border states very difficult. We will not stand for this. Watch. Watch. Kind of it is happening, way? rather. <laughs> It's happening. I don't know. I don't know what Canada is doing. He he's saying that he's. Do you know? Well, this is when he went to uh, Paul Ryan. He went. To oh, this his, is your neck of the woods. Right? Yeah. So I, I'm from Wisconsin. She's had. <laughs> She's yeah. um, But yeah, Trump went to Wisconsin. I think he was in southeastern Wisconsin in Paul Ryan's congressional district, and yeah, was talking about Canadian dairy farmers making life harder for Wisconsin dairy farmers, which. Having lived in Wisconsin for 22 years is a topic I have never <laughs> heard about, to be honest. But I could just have not heard about it. Maybe Canadian dairy farmers are making you know what we need? life a living you know what hell. We're gonna do. We're gonna build a wall. You know who's build gonna pay for it? Canada. Well, remember when Scott Walker was asked about building a wall with Canada, and he kind of kicked the can on it? This was during the campaign. This was yeah, eons ago. But yeah, oh, build right. the wall Scott in Canada. Walker was a Canadian. All right. Aww, you guys. Oh, good times. Aww. All right, memories. Uh, I want to move on, but let me just say for anybody out there listening or watching, 
who has any freaking idea how Canadian dairy farmers are screwing Wisconsin. Please let us know. Please let us know. At BP Show on Twitter. At BP Show. Let us know. All right. Uh, Whether you're from Canada or the U.S., we want to know. And we'll get to the bottom of it right now. Uh, Emily, um, I had a conversation with uh, the political director of Emily's List a couple of days ago. Uh Just saying, what's going on out there? What's the mood? And I was really uh, surprised and thrilled to hear they've had a boom Mm -hmm. in women signing up to run for office. Just to put it in perspective, they said over 11,000 women since the Women's March has started. Women's March, boom, people started calling. I want to run for office. What do I do? How do I get started? Boom, boom, boom. We're talking school board, city council, state legislature, Congress, the whole thing. That's 11,000. To put that in perspective, the past cycle, they had about just shy of 1,000 women running for office, Mm -hmm. which was the biggest number yet. And they called that the Hillary bump. Well, now compared to the (laughs) Trump bump of 11,000. So. What's going on out there? Yeah, well, this this wasn't just, you know, the Women's March. Of course, the Women's March itself was also inspired by Trump's election. It was it was immediately after Trump won. You started hearing reports from not just Emily's List, but other uh, women's political recruitment organizations um, that they were seeing this massive, massive hundreds of percent spike in interest from women. And I think everyone just assumed that, oh, we're going to have our first woman president. Glass ceiling will be broken. We will have a nice milestone and we'll feel good about ourselves. Um, Mm -hmm. And when that didn't happen, people felt, you know, shocked for a number of reasons, but also uh, thinking, well, history didn't happen the way I thought it would. And I guess I'll have to take history into my own hands um, because no one else is going to do it. Now, is there a follow through now? Is it really? Seems like it. Yeah. 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 Because the, um, you know, once again, the, the Women's March was the, 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 the revolution is being led by women uh, because women were particularly uh, offended by uh, just everything about Trump. And uh, of course, not all women because Trump won among uh, yeah. white, white women, women, as we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, misogyny can be internalized and that's how that works. Uh, mm. But uh, yeah, there's there there's 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 a lot of energy and there is follow through because you're, you're what, what's interesting about the Women's March is that they really have done a pretty good job of building kind of a lasting infrastructure like it's, it wasn't just a one-day thing they uh got activists who um were would commit to doing ongoing actions they have what they called uh 10 actions for the first 100 days of trump's presidency and one of those 10 was the big women's strike that we all heard about where people wore red and were arguing about whether it's privileged for them to walk out of work or not and all of this but that wasn't all they, they've just kept um you know, they've been working with uh, the Action Network, a progressive uh, mm-hmm. sort of tool site. They uh, and they've been building a real membership, um, and uh, you know, a lot like it's not not everyone who not all the millions of women or millions of people who came out to march will be, you know, permanent activists, but a lot of them will be, and that's a lot more than we had before. And I know there have been training sessions when we have a friend. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, spending the weekend from Massachusetts, down from Massachusetts, who was going home to join her daughter-in-law to go to a 
training session the next mm -hmm. day just for women who want to run for office by mm -hmm. the basic ABCs of what yep. you have to do to get started. Yeah. Have you seen oh, this? Well, what, what I wanted to ask about is, you know, I have talked to a lot of female state lawmakers um, over the years, and what comes up over and over again is that women need to be asked mm -hmm. like four or five times mm -hmm. to run for office before yep. they will. There's just a huge confidence gap, like the same thing you see in, in other industries where, you know, men feel like, oh, I want to run for office. I'm going to run for office. Women tend to kind of overthink it mm -hmm. and say, oh. oh, I don't think I check every box off the list, so I probably shouldn't. Exactly. No yeah. one will vote for me and need to be asked. So it's Well, it's also been a history, see, yeah. like police forces or fire departments, where you think of them and you see all these men, right? Yep. So yep. women maybe didn't feel that they were even sure. welcome in that club. Sure, and then there's also the, the boys' club aspect yeah, of politics. That, yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, and it's, and a lot of people think because gender bias actually has less of an impact on election results than you might assume. Uh, when women, what do you run, mean by that? Uh, well, it's it's when women actually run for office, they uh, are just about as successful as men are. Um, the it, problem is that they just don't run in the first it's place. It's a selection bias. It's a selection oh. bias. Yeah. So it's a pipeline problem. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's what all the the women. That this is why we have these women's recruitment organizations is because it mm. is literally an undersupply issue. Mm -hmm. Women just and and it's it's like again like Emma said it's like this in the workplace too. Women are less likely to apply for a job if they it's like they see a list of 10 qualifications oh i only have eight you know so mm -hmm. they're, they're clearly not looking for me mm -hmm. um but when we become aware of these things and we can overcome them like i myself have been okay don't do the typical lady thing uh let me you know apply for these jobs that might seem like a reach mm -hmm. um and if, if we become aware of these things and we can try to overcome them and i think i think a lot of women are becoming more aware of the structural barriers that are part of the reason that we only just had our first real shot at a woman president. Right. Well, it's too bad that more women, well, or let me be positive. It's great that more women are running for office yep. because, in my judgment, they do a much better job once they get there <laughs> than well, men sometimes, have, you who know. have screwed it up. Not all of them, but yeah. men for the most part who have screwed it up. So why, Emma, you, you cover this campaign so closely. I, I The number that I've seen, 50% Fifty-seven percent. I'm sorry, of white women voted for mm -hmm. Donald Trump. How? Why? I mean, how do you explain that? Well, I think um, what Emily hit at the internalized misogyny is certainly part of it. I don't think it's all of it necessarily. Um, you know, as much media coverage as the Trump campaign gets uh, in terms of reaching working class voters, where it, it really could, it succeeded was reaching wealthy suburbanites and wealthy white suburbanites. Um, and half of that population yeah. is women. Mm -hmm. So I think it's honestly, when we question why white women voted for Trump, despite all of the terrible things he said about women um, and all of the allegations against him, I think it comes down to sort of a class tribalism mm -hmm. where white women are, are putting their class position above their gender, if that makes sense. Yeah, I might add something to that, which is that um, the the uh, it's, it's not so much, you know, the internalized misogyny thing. It's not like, oh, he hates women. So I think that's great. It's more about like why they can justify to themselves voting for him. Right. Like mm -hmm. it's it's the class. It's like 
A, he is my identity, and B, okay, now as a woman, I have to justify to myself why I can vote for him. Mm-hmm. And where that's where this kind of uh, unconscious uh, sexism bias comes in, which is that uh, the the idea is that well. He's, you know, he's a boorish jerk, but he's our jerk, right? And mm-hmm. it's, 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 and it's, you know, gender issues. It's, yeah. not, it's, it's not just women. It's also masculinity. It's ideas of, oh, well, Trump is this manly man. And so he's, yeah, well, sure, he abuses women, but, you know, that's what tough guys do and boys will be boys. And Or I saw a lot of quotes where, from female Trump supporters where it was like, oh, my husband has said stuff like this. Like, yep. and he's. Yep. You know, my he's my husband. Exactly. Or and and a lot of them say no. I find what he said deplorable, but uh, you know, but but no one's perfect. Mm-hmm. You is it something that uh, when women do present as candidates, that there's less gender bias in mm-hmm. the election than you yeah. would think. Okay. Yeah. So what happened to Hillary? So yeah, big caveat to that. Um, there used to be more gender bias in outcomes when it went. So most of the political science research we have on this is from congressional races, and the part of the issue with that is that people have just gotten more used to women running for Congress. People are not used to women running for president, so there probably was a gender bias element there. And I wrote uh, last year for for Vox about some political science that suggested that, yeah, that that Hillary was facing a pretty steep um, gender uh, hurdle from for, from men in particular. And 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 one and they this was during the primaries. They compared yep. it to Sanders, and she and it wasn't the the same. Like when they primed men, when they just you know got men to think about. You know, does your spouse make more than you? And so they think about, oh, women and place in the family and society. And then they were much less favorably inclined toward Hillary after that. But Emma, I, Emma, I thought that her gender would be a plus for Hillary. Uh, I mean, certainly for many. Certainly among women and uh, among a lot of men, just to this idea of Barack Obama, first African-American president. Sure. sure. Hillary. Now, the that's idea. not maybe the enough of a reason for that reason alone to vote for her, but that would give her a boost. Well, that was certainly true for, for many voters, um, and she did win the popular vote, uh, yes, big caveat. Right, yes. um, but I think what we saw with the Clinton campaign is that you can't just have a message of, I would be the first female president, and yeah. I'm not Trump and look how terrible this man is and like yeah. all of their ads with children watching clips of him that clearly did mm-hmm. not break through to the wealthy white suburban moms that they thought they were going to pull over from the re- Republican side and I think um, that is one of the Clinton campaign's fatal mistakes is that they were trying to tack right and play it like a, a normal presidential yeah. campaign when clearly this that's not what this was. I, st- so- I still come back to this this comment from Chuck Schumer. This was at the DNC. Yes. Quote, for every blue-collar Democrat we lose in western Pennsylvania, we will pick up two moderate Republicans in the suburbs in Philadelphia. And you can repeat that in Ohio and Illinois and Wisconsin. End womp, womp. quote. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like... One of the most damning quotes of the whole brutal, election. Brutal. Brutal. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, I mean, in retrospect, ugh. So on that point, uh, I just want a little plug for our friends John Allen and Amy Parnes who were in Mm. yesterday with Mm -hmm. their new book, Shattered, if you want the whole pain to relive, the whole painful experience (laughs) of the Clinton campaign, uh, check it out. Um, 
So right now, um, I cannot believe that the Democratic Party, uh, which lost badly, but which now is people are saying we know we lost badly, but we got to rebound, we got to rebuild, we have to re-energize the party, mm -hmm. uh, we got to reach out and and get back to our roots and show that we're fighting for working class Americans and yeah. all of that. Now the Democratic Party finds itself in an internal debate about <laughs> abortion. Yep. Mm -hmm. What the hell is going on? <laughs> it started in Omaha, Nebraska, right? Yes, it did. But it's blown beyond that, um, I think, because of Tom Perez sure. um, mistakes. But at any rate. Sure. So uh, what happened is uh, there is a fellow named Heath Mello, who is uh, the Democratic candidate for mayor of Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, he stands a pretty promising shot of flipping the mayorship back to blue from red where it is currently. And Nebraska is overall a red state, although Omaha is, you know, city. Yeah. Um, and the DNC was doing this big unity tour. Um, and uh, one of the stops on this unity tour ended up being uh, Omaha, where they were promoting Heath Mello. Uh, then comes in Elise Hogue from Neural Pro President of Neural Pro-Choice America with just a scorching statement about Heath Mello's record on abortion. And uh, a lot of people – and this, this was from a Wall Street Journal story where they talked about – a vote um, that or a bill that he sponsored, um, and and there, there's there's it's a little bit complicated because the Wall Street Journal got it wrong. Um, they said that he had sponsored a forced ultrasound bill when actually what happened is that Republicans had the votes to pass a forced ultrasound bill, but he had sort of the pro-life cred to say, "Hey guys, why don't we replace this with this." milder version where it's actually just mandatory. You're given the option. Yeah, you're given the option. Or sorry, not, manda not, not mandatory, mandatory. Uh, optional. That's optional. that's the word yeah, that I was looking right, for. Right. Not mandatory, but optional. Um, now, that, but that's... He is, but uh, he, he is... is, he is He's as a Catholic. Yeah, he 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 is a self-identified pro-life person, and he and but that that bill was not the only anti-abortion vote that he took. He also voted yeah. for a 20-week abortion ban, um, for uh, to to restrict insurance <laughs> for abortion and telemedicine. So, um, so anyway, but I want to yeah. jump in for just a sec here sure. because in the interest of time. Sure. And and, and uh, off, almost say uh, like a so what as yeah. a pro-choice Democrat, and mm -hmm. I want to cite. Nancy, so here's Nancy Pelosi yep. on Meet the Press asked this question by Chuck Todd uh, just a couple of days ago. Can you be can you be a Democrat and the support of the Democratic Party if you're pro-life? Of course. Of course. I have served for many years, served in Congress with members who have not shared my very positive, uh, my family would say, aggressive position on promoting a woman's right to choose. But yesterday, Tom Perez came out, basically said... No, you cannot be a Dem if you're not pro-life, you cannot be a member of the Democratic Party. Yeah. Again, what the hell is going on? Emma, isn't this? I, I think this just gets at so many of the core uh, conflicts within the Democratic Party right now. And uh, yeah, I honestly don't know where to fall on it. I mean, I think it's worth noting that, you know, Bernie Sanders got a lot of flack for. Yeah supporting Heath Mello and, and Tom Perez was there too in Omaha. Um, but Tim Kaine is a pro-life Democrat and he mm -hmm. was Hillary Clinton's running mate. Um, yes. Obviously, <laughs> Hillary Clinton was running on a, a very pro-choice platform. Uh, and But Bernie Sanders also is very pro-choice historically. And, 
you know, I think if you take issue with Bernie Sanders supporting Heath Mello, then you also have to take issue with Tim Kaine being a pro-life Democrat. You know, you I don't can't remember kind of... Nayral making a big stink about Tim Kaine, did, or yeah, did they? Right. No, they didn't. And and here's so so here's here's what I see the big distinction as, and I think I think there is actually a, a language problem here, because when we say pro-life. Mm. That means different things to different people. There are a surprising. I hate the phrase, by the way. Yeah, well, I mean, sure. I'm a, a pro-choice, but I'm also pro-life. I mean. Yes, a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And they're like, but right. setting aside, set, set, setting aside that, right? So, like, let's let's look in good faith at the people who self-identify as pro-life, right? There are a surprising number of those people who say, oh, well, I'm pro-life, but I can't decide that for someone else, right? Yeah, right. And, but, so there is a huge difference yes, yes. between being, you know, personally pro-life and being part of the pro-life movement. And I would put Heath Mello in that camp. In, in the pro-life movement camp? Uh, of uh, in, in, Or in the uh, personal. Letting, letting people decide yeah. for themselves. Yeah, he and, has... he, and he used to, so, you know, Earlier, when he was a state legislator, from like 2009 to 2011, he was definitely making some pro-life movement votes. Mm -hmm. But now it seems that he's not anymore. He's a vocal supporter of Planned Parenthood. Local reproductive uh, rights advocates say that he's an ally. And they're a little bit angry at the DNC for for kind of meddling with their local politics, it turns out, as the nation has reported recently. Yeah. But, you know, to me, it's pretty clear. The Democratic Party is the pro-choice party. Yeah. And the Republican Party is the anti-choice well, yeah. party, mm-hmm. if you will. And there are some Democrats, good Democrats, as Nancy Pelosi pointed out, Bob Casey is mm-hmm. another one, who have a different point of view on that one issue. There are Republicans who have a different point of view on that mm-hmm. one issue. Mm-hmm. And and that's, to me, that's it. End of story. But yeah. instead, suddenly now, Democrats are fighting Democrats. Yeah. And why would Tom Perez allow this to happen. I mean, well, this so is not Tom good Fair for the party. Allowing it to happen. I, I think it's it's again. Well, like, by his statement yesterday, sure. he differed with. He basically well, said Chuck. He said Chuck Schumer, Elizabeth Warren, Nancy Pelosi, get down the list. Bernie Sanders. They're all wrong. Mm-hmm. They're not. Did he, he basically say that said, in the statement? No, but I mean, by saying you can't be a Democrat unless you're pro-choice, he's saying well, when they say the now, opposite, but, but look at the wrong. language again. It's you have to support a woman's right to have an abortion. That doesn't mean you like it, but you should not. You can't get in the way of it. Like I think that the key difference here is belief right. versus action, right? So if you're a Democrat, you don't propose twenty-week abortion bans. You don't vote for them, but you might identify ident again identity you might identify as pro-life because you're catholic or whatever and i think right. we need to like talk about that distinction more i'm not disagreeing with you yeah but my point is they shouldn't be talking about in the first place why this, not this is because this is this has been resolved for a long time uh, no, it hasn't. that the democratic party <laughs> well, yes it is yes we have so, the democratic party is the party is the pro-choice yes. party and also accepts that there are some people who happen to be democrats I, who yeah. don't agree with that there also just tends to be a lot more infighting among Democrats. And I think uh, I saw a good tweet about this the other day. I forget who said it. But it's the same way that, you know, architects can argue a lot over the design of a house. But arsonists don't have to argue <laughs> over how the best way to burn down a house. If you're... <laughs> If, really good. if your end goal, but but seriously, really if your end goal is to yeah, limit right. government, right. Um, and you're on the same page in that way, you know yeah. the answer is just cut ruthlessly, mm-hmm. building a more expansive 
safety net welfare state is that's where things get harder. Right. Republicans are arsonists. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah kind of. No, it's hard to follow that. But uh, all I'll say is I think we'd, it's just the same thing. We don't need a great big internal debate among Democrats over gun control. I think we know kind of where people stand. Mm -hmm. We respect a guy like Joe Manchin who may yeah. not agree, or we don't need a big Do debate. Do we respect a guy like Joe Manchin? <laughs> I don't for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. Well, th th he's got more than just that one yeah, issue. Yeah, it's bigger than that one issue. I'm not mm -hmm. a, a single issue hater. Mm -hmm. I am not a Democrat who's going to say, unless you agree with me 100% on every issue, you're not in my camp. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the way to become a minority party fast, mm -hmm. I think. Right now. But so, not on abortion. No, uh. I, well, but I accept somebody who disagrees with me as a Democrat. Right? Okay. Well. So you agree with Tom Paris? No. <laughs> That's the point I'm making. No, I don't. Paris is wrong. Disturbed our equanimity here. Emma. Uh, Emma Lee. This Thank you. is oh. the Bill Press Show. <laughs> The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. You know, back on October 22nd, 2016, barely two weeks before the election day, Donald Trump went to the great Civil War battlefield and uh, pretending to be another Abraham Lincoln, he gave what he called his Gettysburg Address. And in that speech, pretending to be another Newt Gingrich, he outlined what he called his contract with America laying out 28 goals that he promised to get done in his first 100 days in office. So now, when Donald Trump says that the 100-day marker is meaningless, uh, let's remember, he's the one who said, watch how much I get done in the first 100 days. He still says that he has accomplished more in his first 100 days than any president ever, including Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and he is all wet. The facts, the numbers don't lie. Donald Trump is lying through his teeth when he says that. Of those 28 promises he made in Gettysburg, he has totally ignored half of them. Uh, he did not build the wall. He did not repeal Obamacare. He did not enact tax reform. He did nothing to undo NAFTA. And in fact, not one of the 10 bills that he promised to sign uh, in his first 100 days was even introduced in the Congress. He did sign 32 executive orders, which promised to do certain things, but in fact accomplished nothing. And two of those executive orders were his now-famous Muslim bans, which, of course, were stopped dead in their tracks by federal courts. The fact is, Donald Trump has nothing to show for his first 100 days except a new member of the Supreme Court, but that was Mitch McConnell's work, not Donald Trump's. Summing up Donald Trump's first 100 days, I think, sum up who President Donald Trump really is. A big, fat zero. This is The Bill Press Show.